Hey, this is Ryan Chapman with Fix Your Funnel. I'm glad to bring you yet another uh, interview today. This one I'm really excited about because um, today's guest, uh, we go way back. At least it feels like we go way back, Ross. Right. I know what you mean. We've even eaten ice cream together. So it's, it's a pretty intimate relationship that we have. You could say things are serious. Yeah. Yeah. You say they get serious. Um, <laughs> but why I'm really excited about Ross is Ross is one of, well, first off, he's one of the best guys you'll ever meet. But on top of that, he's very smart and he, he figures out ways to use things that we've done at Fix Your Funnel that I hadn't even thought about. And some of the concepts, you know, this may come as a surprise to you, Ross, maybe not. But some of the concepts that you think came from me actually came from you that are in my book, The Messaging Connection. <laughs> so we'll get into that little uh, roundabout and as we get through today's interview. But um, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to hear from Ross because he has done some amazing things over his career. And um, I've just been... It's been a pleasure to watch him work. I'm always interested in what he has to say. He thinks that uh, it might not be that way sometimes, but when he tells me, hey, Ryan, I think we should do this. <laughs> well, usually I do because it's Ross talking. Oh. So, in fact, you upset Trent greatly uh, the other day because there was a feature that we were talking about. You're like, hey, it would be really cool if you did this. And I was like, no, I've been resisting doing that for a long time. And you're like, yeah, but this would be really cool if you do it like that. And I reported to Trent, yeah, I think we're going to do this. And he's like, Ross is a butt. <laughs> <laughs> for three years, I've been trying to convince you to do that. He does it in one chat. <laughs> That's awesome. So, well, if I can both get a feature and upset Trent at the same time, it's a good day. Yeah. Well, so with that, what I, where I like to start with these interviews is just to get your background. Like, how did you get into marketing automation? That's because that tends to be the bulk of what we discuss in one way or another. So how did you get into it? Because, you know, you're no spring chicken. So I can't imagine this was the thing you started doing right out of high school. <laughs> how did you get into it? Oh, man. So my, my first foray into, into marketing was like 20 years ago, back before the, the bubble burst. And, but I'm not going to, I'll just say that I won't give you every connect the dot between there and there, but it was back. Let's see. It's been almost 10 years ago. No, less than that. Let's say eight years ago, I had a friend that had a really good idea to on a new startup he wanted to do. And he, he brought me in. He's like, Hey, let's work together. Let's get this startup going. Where can we go with this? So we got it up. We started getting it going, got the development done. And we entered into one of those uh, incubator contests where, hey, you can apply. And if you get accepted, they take, take 10 of them, blah, blah, blah. So we won. We got in. Wow. And we got all the way through. And we came out the other side and received funding from an angel investor. And we're working on that. And during that time, I go, I'd go to different marketing, local marketing events. And I'm at this one where this guy's presenting. And he's going on and on and on. He talks about email marketing. He's like, and he's, he goes by one slide. It was like three seconds long. He's like, and if you're really serious about marketing and want to automate things, you can always go to something like Infusionsoft, but that's not for a lot of people. And he went on. And that was like the hook. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? And so... So what year was this? This has got to be, let's see, 2000 through 19 now. So yeah, let me think. 2004? Four or five? Really? Wow. Yeah, it's like oh four oh five. That's a year before I even heard of it. So maybe maybe oh five oh six somewhere right around there. I gotta I probably have to go look. Yeah, I, I first heard two thousand six, and then we got serious when we started our first company in two thousand seven that needed it. Okay, so let's see, we're two thousand nineteen. No, no, no. So it's got to be ten. No, I'm I'm sorry, I'm forgetting a whole almost decade. So two thousand ten, two thousand ten eleven. I, I, I go, I'll go look and we can even edit it. In Ross, you are worse than I in time. Oh, I'm so bad. If it didn't happen in the same year one of my kids was born, then I don't know when it was. Yeah. This did not happen when my kid was born. Any of my kids were born. So long story short, I jotted it down. I'm like, that was interesting. So I wrote down Infusionsoft. Next day, I jump on the laptop and I Google Infusionsoft. I go look at the software and I'm like, holy cow, this is really impressive. And this is part, I don't know if I've ever shared with you, Ryan, but you don't go very far into learning about Infusionsoft and you quickly found Fix Your Funnel. So I'm, I'm looking at Fix Your Funnel 
and Infusionsoft. I get the demo of Infusionsoft. I'm looking at these together. And I actually called my investor, the, the angel investor that had given us the money. Uh-huh. I'm like, hey, we got to talk. And he's like, well, we're out, we talk every week. So yeah, I'm like, I got an agenda, a big agenda item for you. And I went in and I showed him Infusionsoft and Fix Your Funnel. And I said, hey, this project that we've been working on for a while, you know, we did all this really cool stuff and it's starting to get some traction. Yeah, I just discovered that I can build the software for this startup that we've been doing in about two hours. And we're paying a developer a very healthy fee to build what's already been done. I, I was I was absolutely... Oh, so it was like a custom thing then. Yeah, we were building a custom... In the short version, it was an easy way to collect reviews through text messaging. Yeah. You know, like you go to the restaurant, you text dinner, and it says, hey, thanks for visiting. And, and we had the little keyword, 10-digit yeah. code. It had asked them a couple of questions. It was just an automated SMS conversation. That's all it was. Yeah. And then the thank you page just directed them to leave a Google review or a Yelp review yeah. if the review was high enough. It was, it was, that was all it was. And we were paying our developer a lot of money <laughs> for that. And I went to him on like, look, this is where it's at. I could rebuild this. And uh, anyway, that was kind of a catalyst that we ended up saying, hey, you know what? Let's just take what assets we have. We're going to sell that over here and shut down this company. And then from then on out, I was like, well, that one's done. I'm going to get into Infusionsoft and get back into automated marketing. I'd done marketing before, but never automated. Yeah. So from that was, that was the trigger. Infusionsoft being mentioned on the slide, me finding Fix Your Funnel and going, oh my gosh, these people have already done what my startup was trying to create. And at that point, I'm like, great. Well, if they're already ahead. I've got customers that want it and need it. I'll just use this tool. And that's kind of how I got into Infusionsoft. Wow. That's an interesting story. Yeah, I've never heard that one. Yeah, so thanks to you. Thanks for beating up my developer. <laughs> well, you're welcome for ruining your startup. Yeah. So you, um, you, you segued from that then pretty quick. And you started, I think when um, I remember meeting you, it was at um, an icon. Yeah. Uh, one of the Infusionsoft conferences. And then I think at the time you were working with a couple other guys. Yeah, I quickly grew from there. And just the local market, when, you find, when I found out how cool Infusionsoft was, within two months, I contacted Kara and said, hey, I got to get certified. And then it just spread really quick in Utah to say, hey, you know, Ross knows what he's doing with Infusionsoft. So those clients came around. I teamed up with a couple of the guys, Brent and John, and we started doing some stuff together. And uh, while we, we did good and had a lot of fun, we also discovered that we are three entrepreneurs that work well independently. So... I was back to myself and that's the yeah. way I've been ever since. Yeah. I think the, the idea of working with other entrepreneurs in a single business is very romantic because all the time, you know, people are approaching me. I'm sure they're approaching you saying, Hey, we should do something together. Yep. And the reality is we're all independent uh, knuckleheads that if we were all in the same business, it wouldn't be good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a rare situation where, you know, it can work and, you know, part of it can be if you're related and you get along like Trent and I do, but you know, even then there, there can be strains from time to time. So yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of spun off on your own, but when you guys were working together, I recall that you were doing, um, you know, stuff with different like book launches or you're working with people who are authors or things of that nature. Is that, was that accurate? Yeah, we were or doing was that just my picture. No, that was probably when I very first got going, man, I was taken anywhere from literally plumbers to one of my funnest ones was like a rocket manufacturer, like rockets that go into space manufacturing and everything in between. But when I was working with John and Brent a lot, they were like, Hey, let's do some book launches. We did, we did some really fun stuff with Laura Langmeyer with her. She's got some great education and she had, she had books and programs and we had a lot of fun coming up with campaigns for her there. And that, that's really, that kind of got us into the influencer, guru, book writer, author space that a lot of people serve now. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's a lot of fun. Cause when you've got someone with a lot of really cool assets and content, and then it's like, Hey, how can we put this together in a way that serves the people the best in a fun new way? I mean, it's the education is the same, but how do we present it to them in a fun, logical manner that they've never had? Like I, I'm a big fan of your book of, the, the messaging conversations, messaging, I'm sorry, messaging connection. 
Yeah. Thanks and, for butchering it. Yeah. Sorry to butcher the title there. <laughs> but, but things like that, it's like, hey, let's stop the mass marketing and how can we scale individual marketing? And that's, that's, that's the really fun part. So we did that with Laurel and a few others. And yeah, that's, that's probably what keeps me going is the fun way of, hey, how can we make this different? And it doesn't have to be hard. Well, you know, and there's something that is really valuable f- from working with people who are doing a lot. Um, some people might think that Laurel runs on um, high octane gas or something because she's always moving really fast. Yeah. But there's, there is something, though, to working with people that are willing to make investments in their marketing, you know, that are willing to do some of those things. You can, you can learn a whole lot by mo- doing a lot of action in a short period of time. So I'm sure there's quite a few lessons you learned as you went through the process of working with some of the, the people who are willing to invest in marketing in order to make more money. Uh, are there any lessons that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, lesson that I that started there and I'm still still learning every day is that when you've got someone with that much content and they're willing to experiment and try things and move fast, like you said, do a lot, Yeah, you don't have any more excuses of like, well, I'm waiting for just the right content. Or I'm waiting for just this. Like perfection doesn't matter. Let's get in there and test it. Rather waste a thousand bucks on a test to get an answer than wait and see if we can guess the right way to do it. And my, yeah. my, my internal gut is always like, hey, I think I can guess the right way the first time. And that doesn't work. Let's get in there and let's yeah. discover the hundred ways that don't work really fast. Well, it, that's been my observation too is that – the reality is the person who thinks they're the smartest really isn't, but it, even if with their best guess, there's a good chance it's wrong when it comes to marketing. Yep. So what you can do though, is if you have 10 guesses, there's a chance that one of them will be right. If, especially the more experience you have, but even if you have a lot of experience, you're not going to get it right the first time, like 90% of the time. Yep. Usually you're going to have to try a few different things and to see which one, actually resonates with that particular market, especially if you're going into new markets, which is part of the challenge that you would have faced is even though, you know, they're all the same type of business that you were working with, each one is different in terms of who are they talking to and what thing resonates with them. And so kind of having a, an approach to nail down, you know, how do we get to the answer the quickest is yeah. really important. I think that brings up another important point that's important for business owners in general to understand, which is that speed is more important than precision when it comes to getting a business off the ground. Yes. Now, you, you do need some precision, some level of precision, but not as fine as most people focus in on. They focus in on a bunch of little details that actually make no significant difference. And in the process, delay getting to market and they kill their opportunity to have a great idea that could take off because they're not able to get enough momentum to you know, break gravity and get flight into the air. That was, I think, one of the things that we did that was right in our first business that, you know, taught us a lot was that we just went full blast into it and we knew that things weren't going to work perfectly, but we would learn and we would iterate quickly. So, you know, we send out an email blast and we get no response. Okay, we know that doesn't work. It's not like, oh, geez, you know, yeah. We send out direct mail and we get two instead of the hundred that we were expecting. Okay. Yeah. Now we know what doesn't work. <laughs> and I know what can at least get me two. So the next one, if it's yeah. better, then we'll try that one more, yeah. you, know, you know, iterate off of a bad thing other than trying to continually guess what Perfect. might go. Yeah. I think that's a super valuable lesson for people and it can, it can get lost because we want, we want to do well. Right. I don't think that oh, yeah. perfectionism comes out of a bad place. I think it comes out of a great place, which is we really want to do well by, you know, what we represent into the world. But I think um, Dan Kennedy had a phrase that helped me the most to get over my perfectionism, which was a major struggle I had at first. My dad used to say I would have paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Because I was just always thinking about all the possibilities and stuff. And so Dan Kennedy had a phrase that said, good is good enough. I was there like, you go. Well, oh, that's. True, good is good enough. And so that doesn't say crappy is good enough, but good is good enough. And there's a big difference between good and, and perfect. And good, though, is, is manageable and doable. And you can try that out, see what happens. You know, the funny thing, Ryan, is like as I get older and older, 
I'd like to think I'm collecting the wisdom that makes it so I don't have to test and try anymore. But I, I think that's almost the opposite. I'm like, I should have the wisdom to know that I'll just figure it out by testing rather than thinking I'm so smart that I'm going to guess it right the first time. And that's, it's well, counterintuitive, but it's, it's right. If you do, if you just have a little observation of the world around you, right. Um, right. Go look at an insect. An insect gets a bunch of stuff done, but it doesn't get it done because it knows perfectly where it's going. It's mostly groping and then using feedback to get it on track. Nice. And so that's a, that's a very simple mechanism that nature has refined for us. And that teaches us a pretty good principle, which is if you're moving forward, your chances of getting there are a lot better than if you're just standing still. Now, I'm sure there's some finite arguments that could be made against that, but I think overall the principle stays true. Yeah. Let's, let's go, let's move on to what, like, where did you go from there? So you guys uh, went your separate ways, learned a lot together, had some great experiences, I'm sure. Where yeah. did uh, where did marketing automation take you next? I think probably the for for myself the internal lessons that I got is, is right as we were breaking that up, we were kind of dividing up clients and opportunities, and I took the opportunity to go work with Frank Kern. I was still a consultant, wasn't an employee, but got to go to to not to California. I didn't go to Frank's office, but I go to California a lot and help Frank run his boot camps and help him rework a lot of his automations. And got to build stuff. But for me, it was learning just a ton. For being the new age guy that people think Frank is, it's built on just sound marketing principles. But the other fun part was is he was always open to exploring and trying new things. He was definitely all for, let's fail fast and let's test this out. If it works, awesome. If not. So then yeah, from I think Frank... One of his famous phrases is, I'm running a marketing experiment, which implies... I'm going to yeah. see if something fails or not. Yeah. And if it, if it does, or if it does or doesn't, either way, there was either money or a lesson, and both of which are a lot of value. So yeah. he was happy with either result, as long as we learned. So that, was, that one was a ton of fun. And I think that's probably, from that point on, I've been working with just coaches, um, coaches and influencers from then, just because of the lessons I learned from Frank are easily applicable into that kind of yeah. a marketing. Yeah. So that, that just kind of naturally fit. I don't do much e-commerce, no products and potions or things like that. Mostly just high ticket services and masterminds. Okay. So this comes back to the principle that I think is like one of the central principles in my book, the messaging connection. And while I think you kind of alluded to it before we started this episode that you thought I had kind of influenced you that way. Maybe I did. Maybe I said something before because it was kind of my intuition that that was the best way to go. But I think um, some work that you did with Frank was what really illustrated to me the power of that concept. Because um, unfortunately, the, the nature of my work is I'm I'm always creating and doing some stuff, but I'm fairly disconnected from the the end results, and so I only get to hear them anecdotally, periodically. And for some reason, I'm always surprised. I'm like. Oh wow, that's great! That worked exactly how I thought it would. But you know that it kind of increases my confidence to trust my intuition, keep going that direction with whatever the tools are, the education that we're putting out. But maybe you can share the story of Frank Kern in the webinar, um, just because I think that it's instructive to people on the the concept that we were talking about. That like I, I credit you because it kind of was the biggest example of how effective it can be. And that's one thing Frank's really good for is he's always moving so quickly that yeah. I think his results go both ways, right? When it's when yeah. something doesn't go right, it's it's pretty bad. But when it goes right, it's also really good. And so these are a lot really more good. at stake, so to speak. And so that makes a, a more poignant example of things. Plus, he's not um, – I don't consider him to be normal in any way. Uh, <laughs> yep. Like he would agree. He's, He's a pretty exceptional um, individual when it comes to marketing and sales. Um, I know he mostly talks about sales, but he is like he's got the southern charm, and coupled with some a pretty sophisticated understanding of the way words and you know phrases impact people. And he does some stuff almost like black magic because he's so smooth about it. Yeah, I think some people are aware of what he's doing, but a lot of people are not. And so that makes, puts them at a huge advantage. And so some things you should, I wouldn't expect would have as big an impact, but yeah. 
when they do have a big impact and they're strictly mechanical, that tells me that it would work for anybody and be just as powerful. So I've kind of set it up really big. So don't just <laughs> don't let you down. <laughs> Frank's always well at this point. He was doing lots and lots of webinars, so we were always looking at the different conversion points in webinars and like how can we get more conversions out of each webinar. And one of the big big places that you miss a lot of profits is okay. They attended the webinar, but they didn't buy, and that that's a big gap right there. And so like hey, let's I want to drop a text message in there because fix your funnel is growing all the time. You guys are always adding new features, but I'm like the dialer that we have with fix your funnel, we can start a two way conversation and we can start it with only the right people. You know, they, they haven't bought, they did attend the webinar and we know how long it has been since the webinar has been over. So let's give them an hour. And after an hour, if they haven't bought yet, let's send them a, well, I'm going to steal from you. I didn't know what to call it, but you've coined it best. It's a conversation starter. So let's send him a text message that says, hey, this is Ross at Frank Kern's office. If you're interested, Frank's allowed me to offer up and we would say whatever the bonus was. Mm-hmm. Let me know if that might work for you. And just, just as simple, hey, hope you enjoyed it. I might have something, but if you're interested, you got to call me or text me back. And the first time we did it, it was really amazing. It you know, got flooded with text and we almost had more sales than Frank did live on his webinar. And then the oh. second time we put that in a webinar, from then on out, we always beat him. So whatever he could close <laughs> live, we were doing more. And I think yeah. it was like the fourth, maybe the fourth or fifth, I'd have to look to be sure. We were doubling the sales of people that would text in and they'd say, really, is this you? And they'd ask one or two questions to make sure it wasn't an automated thing. But yeah. one salesman was handling 30 conversations by text message. And obviously you can't tie up a phone conversation like that. So we, we do 30 text messages and they'd say, well, I just had one question or what about this? Or what about that bonus? And we'd answer it and they great. Send them a link to the order form. And like I said, we were doubling the sales, added more than a million in revenue that year. So there's, there's a few principles that I want to highlight in this whole story, because it's a very fascinating story. But the, the very first one is, None of that would have been possible if Frank hadn't opened the door to texting in the first place. So yeah. he, he had the foresight to say, hey, let's ask for the phone number. Now, I think I believe his original intention with that was just to get them to show up, right, with the registration reminder. Yeah, yeah. We implemented text reminders way before we implemented conversation starting. Yeah. Now, you know, that's where most people focus when it comes to texting and webinars that I've noticed is they do the reminder, which is, it's important. That's a good one. But I really feel like that's the least leverage that you have in messaging and the whole thing, because getting them to show up doesn't change the human psychological concept that most people, like if if someone does everything that a buyer does, but buy, it's not because they don't think that you have something for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. why did you hang out on the webinar the whole time if you weren't interested at all? You, you don't do it. If you're like 10 minutes in, if you're like, well, this is total garbage. This isn't for me. You just jump off. You don't stick around to the end. So if you stick around, exactly, the end, you're obviously interested. And if you don't buy, it's like what you were saying. It's usually one question or one concern. Yep. And that like is probably, no, that's the tragedy of the whole thing, though, it is if people realize how much money they've let just pass by them. Yeah. Because they didn't open a space where prospects who've done everything but buy could just say, you know, I've got this question or, hey, I, I wasn't sure about this. Can you confirm this for me? And it's that one thing that's holding them back. I think that most people would be severely depressed for at least a couple of weeks. If they, <laughs> they really understood how much money they have lost out on. Uh, You mentioned Frank was pretty TO'd when he found out how well the post-webinar sales were going with the conversations. Yeah, he was happy for the revenue, but he's like, he he takes good pride in his salesmanship and he can close a webinar better than most people. So when a text message was doubling his results, it's like, I'm happy I'm wrong (laughs) kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was still, and now that they've changed that relationship, now all those people that have texted, 
they're so much easier to text in the future. Like we've already got that relationship. They kindled it. They were talking with us. It was possible. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. It was, it was wonderful. After that, there was a lot of places that we started looking for conversion points that we thought we could improve and Hey, what can we do with text? And And it's huge. I, I speak on SMS from different stages here and there. And I have one slide that I have, I'm like, if you just replace your emails with SMS, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you because that's not what it is. <laughs> don't, don't just yeah. say, oh, if SMS gets results, I'll just add it to every one of my emails and put that in there. I'm like, no, they're different. It's a different channel. So you need to look at your pipeline and say, okay, is this a conversion point where SMS would make sense? It's not just a chance to ping somebody or annoy them. Yeah. But would a conversation change the relationship here? Yes. Great. Then SMS. If you're looking just yeah. to get an alert in front of them, please don't do it. So one of the things that I um, find that is when someone's using fixture funnel and then they're like, you know, this is becoming too expensive. Whenever I hear those words, I know, oh, you're not doing it right. Because yeah. if you're doing it right, it is the best return on investment ever. If it ever becomes expensive, it's because you're doing it wrong. It's not because it's too expensive. It, yep. it's, you're treating text messages like email. And because you're doing that, you're not getting the results you should. Because it really, it is, uh, it's that relationship building medium. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes back to um, maybe a bigger systematic problem I was observing. I know you probably could speak to this as well where people are finding their huge email lists just are not as effective and that effectiveness is on a constant decline because there's really no connection with the list. You know, even the people that do it best, you know, struggle because they're emailing so much that, you know, it's just difficult. The market is shifting. And so you've got to be able to know how to formulate a real relationship with people. And that means it doesn't mean don't use email but it means you've got to recognize when you should use other mediums besides exactly. email. I, I hear they're too expensive every once in a while. I'm like, it's like four cents. If you can't drastically improve your chance of closing someone with seven or eight text messages back and forth, we're, we're still less than two bucks here, folks. I mean, you can't invest two bucks to close. Uh, I always assume either you've got no margin, your, your price point is super small or you're, yep severely doing it wrong you're trying to blast thousands of people yeah you're using a surgical knife um, to cut down a forest and so (laughs) nice (laughs) you know really it is that it's it's that precise it's that right there it's very personal so if it's done right then you get huge results i don't i don't imagine that frank was complaining about the cost of text messages nope results he was getting probably wasn't even on his radar but that's also because he has trained himself to recognize investment versus expense yeah it's a, a interesting distinction that a lot of people struggle with yeah i mean you probably have recognized this because you've worked with a bunch of people who are successful right and you probably occasionally get someone who's not successful that comes through the the pipeline how would you say that that distinction between investment and cost is that like a pretty consistent one across the board or am I just exaggerating things? No, I, I totally see the same thing in, cause the people that the, the question I see between investment and cost is they'll, they'll look at like the monthly, I can't even know what fixture funnel costs, 50 bucks a month or something like that. Uh-huh. And they'll start going, Oh, it's another subscription, another subscription. And the ones that see it as an investment, they're like, so how many people could I reach? And Oh, wow. And they're asking how they can reach their crowd instead of worrying about a subscription. And that's, that's the go-to that I look at. And I can tell where the conversation is going to lead. If they're worried about a subscription cost, I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? Or the investment think, of, wow, I could really get right in front of them. If I were in your shoes, I'd probably use that as a filter to know who I should work with and who I shouldn't. Because it's a night and day experience um, yeah. working with somebody who gets it. You know, when I say people that get it, I mean, people that get business, you know, that understand um, that. But, you know, the problem comes from a place of fear because they're not confident in their ability to generate revenue. And when you're not confident in your ability to generate revenue, everything becomes a cost as well. Well said. Yeah. So it's important to gain some confidence in your ability to convert prospects into paying customers and your ability to keep them long term. 
I had an interesting call with uh, Troy, Troy Broussard mm. today, and we were chatting about, because um, we're kind of trying to expand our market share a little bit. And, you know, I was kind of talking to him about some things that I thought were working or not. And he said, right, I really think the, the secret to Fix Your Funnel's success is that you guys have a great product and you do really good customer support. And because of that, people just blab. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's so disappointing. You know, I wanted to be a good marketer. <laughs> but I, I feel like, you know, if when people understand what value they bring to the marketplace and they, and they really hone in on doing that, but they're able to communicate that. So I do think that we do some, some decent communication and, you know, we're looking at marketing as more than just little tactics. It's an overall yeah. approach. And that's how I encourage people to look at it in their own business. In fact, I, I co-authored a book with a, a kid that worked for us for a little bit, trying to help him get, you know, some positioning for himself. And I call it the four cornerstones of a rock solid marketing plan. And one of the, the first things that I learned when we were working with the real estate agents, in our first training company Trent and I had together, was that um, the value of a referral source is phenomenal. And so you really want to, you know, before you start going out and trying to find cold traffic and get people who've never heard of you to trust you and then spend money with you, it, it, you get a lot more leverage by finding one person who can send you 10, 20, 30 people and really investing in them and, you know, gaining their confidence. Because once you have their confidence that you can, you know, fulfill the promises you make to the marketplace, then they're going to be really confident referring you to other people. And so I always look for that first when I'm talking to somebody that's like, yeah, we're just trying to grow the business, but we're struggling. And I was, uh, just all those thoughts were interesting to me because that was, I feel like so many people overlook that because they're excited about Facebook ads. Yeah. And if they understood the power of, of just having a couple of referral sources, I call them referral sources, but that, you know, that can translate to like partner, somebody like today, case in point, I was having a home inspection done on the place where we're in because we're buying it. And the home inspector says, oh, okay, you get 20 roof tiles that are broken. Here's the card to the roofer I recommend. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, also your AC unit, the reason it struggles every summer is because it's half the size it's supposed to be for this size of house. So you may want to look into that. Here's the AC guy I recommend. Nice. <laughs> Those dudes ought to be taking him out to lunch every chance they get because yeah. – he's just doing marketing for him. He's a position of authority because he's come in just to inspect the home. And they say, look, if there's a bunch of shysters out there, this guy you can trust here, go to him. Well, how much research do you think I'm going to do? Zero. I'm probably not going to do any research. <laughs> I'm just going to call up the guy that they recommended because guess how I caught a hold of him. A the referral. person that's representing me on the, this transaction said, Hey, you should go with uh, Tom McDonald. He's a great uh, home inspector. And I'm like, that's okay, awesome. call you him first. Even- you know, you know, he was it's third party. Well, yeah, I did a, a kind of a funny test on that. I did um, a text message. You know, I called him and uh, he answered. He was on the roof of the house. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, can you just text me your information? I'll get, I'll get something back and send a point. So I, I texted him. Yep. Uh, I go, you know what? I'm going to text these other two because I was given three names. Yeah. Text these other two and see who responds. You know, because this guy immediately responded. But I'm going to text these other two. So I text the other two. Their numbers are not text enabled. Oh. I'm like, these guys are jokers. What kind of business are they running? This is the modern age, you know? Yeah. And if they would have had it, they could have had a shot at the job. It was only, you know, 500 bucks. But, you know, 500 bucks is 500 bucks for a guy that gets paid by the hour, basically. Yeah. That's how they chose to do business. Then yeah. that's an easy way to get it. Yeah. So, you know, very interesting. So we kind of went all over the place with all that. Are there any other observations that you've made through your career of um, marketing automation up until this point that really stand out to you? I think you kind of started to touch a little bit on the conversation starters. Was there more that you've observed on that besides what we said? The conversation starters is, is a huge one. I think the other one it's such a fun industry to be in and there's so many amazing tools that are always popping up and the tools that we love are always getting new features that the further I go on and the more clients I find, they, they come to me with unsatisfactory stories from the previous agency and it all comes around either them or the agency just had a brand new hammer and they were just looking for nails and people lack oh. the plan. I'm like, if you plan like, like you always say, plan with the end in mind and it's like, 
hey, there's that, this is how we want to sell to them. So let's work it backwards. And then just stick with that plan until it's proven. I mean, you can test it and fail it, but keep refining it, but have a plan. It's, it amazes me how, as long as we've known that true fact, how it's just totally disregarded anymore. There's so many people that won't have a plan that part of my sales process is now like you actually have to pay me to help make your plan before I even implement it. And, (laughs) and it stands out. People are like, I wish everyone would do this. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm kind of glad they don't because it helps me sell easier. But just having a defined plan and saying, there it is. This is what we're going to do. Obviously, there's places that we can optimize and improve. But until we launch it, we don't know. So let's do this plan. And then the knowledge, the wisdom, I guess, comes from in there saying, hey, I know that like here's two or three places that we're going to use conversation starters. Here's one or two places that SMS might just be reminders and that starts the conver- starts the relationship for the yeah. future conversations but by using these simple basic tried and true conversations you know used to be email was the best way now i think sms is the best way so that, yeah, well, that turned back to an sms commercial i guess what i'm saying is the, the one of the things i've learned and all the time is have a plan but just stick to that plan execute on it the first time and yeah. we can throw it away if it fails but at least then we'll have a base well, and that's that's another pet peeve of mine, being because having been around the marketing automation world, I was you know working with auto responder, whatever one was a one shopping cart, you know some mm-hmm. of those other ones, you know before I was introduced to Infusionsoft. But you know as as I've been here for that, you know I guess we're going on thirteen years working in this industry. One of the things that I've observed is that people don't really have any framework in which they make decisions on what they should automate they just kind of go uh what do you recommend you know mm-hmm. i don't know what do you recommend you know they <laughs> just kind of start they either sit there and they him and haw about it or they automate everything right they, they'll go to a two-day boot camp get everything automated in their business and the reality is until you know what the problem is in your business you got no business automating anything you know yeah. where is the real issue what is the thing that you need to to actually focus in on, and if you if you go and just start automating willy nilly without a plan, because I think that's probably what you're doing in your plan is you're identifying what are the real needs. Yeah, what is it that the business would benefit from if we're going to do anything? What would it benefit from? And too frequently, that question isn't asked because people are too concerned about getting money and less concerned about doing what's right for the the customer. And if you, if you really care about the customer, which means you've got to care about people as humans, not mm-hmm. as, and I think that's why that was such an important part of the book, The Messaging Connection, is to help people see that how they see their customers really changes how they communicate with them. It, right on. If you see somebody as being a brother or a sister, you know, versus uh, someone that's got money in their wallet that belongs to you and you just got to get it without going to jail. You know, that's kind of the old... Uh, sales lingo approach or methodology that a lot of people have been ingrained with either directly or indirectly. But when you, when you actually see people as humans that are trying to accomplish something in their limited time on this planet, then I, I think it changes dramatically the nature of your approach. And you start thinking about how can you really benefit and help people. And when you do that, then you'll do the right thing by people. The big, that's where you, you're, Planning isn't just a sales tactic. It's not just to differentiate yourself. It's because you genuinely care about that individual and their business and their success. And you know, hey, we're not going to go anywhere if we don't know where we're going. So let's get clear on that. <laughs> yeah. So many people don't do that. They just are like, um, I'm selling this thing, buy it. You know, it's like uh, my van. I had to replace all the tires on it because <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say it, but the they're going threadbare. Like the, the radials are showing on it because I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> We're getting ready to go on a long trip. And I was like, oh, crap. I better get those replaced. So I yeah. call up the, the place and I said, here's my vehicle. I need four tires for it. And instead of really finding out what they should have put on there, they just picked four that they had in stock that would work for the van, but weren't right. best for the van. So I get it back and it just drives like, like a boat. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It wasn't like this when I brought it in. 
And they're like, oh, it's fine. And they insisted that the tires were fine. Well, then I've got a good mechanic who's like a race car mechanic. Oh. And so he's got really experienced a bunch of stuff, which I like because that's kind of how I see myself as being really experienced with a bunch of stuff and then focusing on something really important. And so he's like, uh, yeah, the reason this thing is driving like a boat is because these are car tires and you need truck tires. <laughs> oh, my go gosh. Back, go back and tell them to put truck tires on this because that's what you need for this so that it'll, it'll drive well. Yeah. And the guy, the guy was so focused and under so much pressure to make money that he didn't do what was right. So now he's having to go buy me new tires and he's going to replace my old tires, you know, the new ones I just bought. And he, he may lose a little bit on that. I know he's lost in time because he's had to talk to me several times. Right. But because he didn't do the right thing, you know, he potentially could have harmed me, but he didn't, he certainly didn't win any favors or any, like, am I going to refer anybody to that? tire shop the answer is no but i might tell them how terrible they are yeah so, well shoot i just did it on this webinar so i didn't say the name of it and <laughs> we just know but you, but you know what i mean yeah you, you don't win anything by just focusing on the money if you focus on what's really best for people and that like identifying what's really going wrong in the business before we start giving prescriptions is really important i think maybe that's where i get that from is from the whole doctor concept because if we know if we went into a doctor's office and before we sat down, they're like, dude, this green pill, you've got to try it. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. We would go, dude, this guy's in that job, and we we just leave. Yeah. We expect them to do, like, take our blood pressure, weigh us, ask us questions or anything like that before they start prescribing. And so frequently, I'll, I'll see that that doesn't happen, either by the business owner or a consultant that they hire. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it's really critical for people to understand. It's really important to diagnose before you prescribe. And yeah. when it comes to marketing automation, you will get absolutely no benefit out of any automation software or extension. You won't get a benefit out of Fix Your Funnel. You won't get a benefit out of FusionSoft or the like, anything. If you don't first identify what's the actual problem that we're having and does the actual solution involve using these tools. And coming at it that way is such a big difference in terms of outcome. There's still quite a few out there that will still do a diagnosis. And regardless of what the answer is, they'll still give you the green pill. Yeah. Like, well, that was nice. Wow. What do you know? It's the green pill. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It shocks me every time. Yep. It's easier just to turn like if, if you, in my, in my experience thus far, when I do one of those, I'm like, hey, you know what? This, it looks like this, something like this is going to be the best answer for you. And I'm not the guy that loves to implement that. You should go talk to that guy over there or that lady over there, it's, it's easier than just trying to make that green pill solve his problem because it's not going to. Well, that's so smart too for when you recognize that you're, what you offer is not a fit for the person and there's nothing that you have that is going to solve their problem. Yeah, pointing them in the other direction seems like, well, I'm sending away money. But the truth of the matter is it does a few things. One is it primes the pump for potential referrals from that person that you refer them to. Yep. Because um, a lot of people want to have people send them referrals, but they don't want to refer anybody. If you don't refer, you can't be referred to. That's usually how it works. So referring somebody, yep. you want to prime to the pump for potential for them to say, you know what, that's not good for, for me. You should go talk to Ross. Ross is actually way better at that. Yeah. You know, I do this. He does that. And you take so that's it. one thing. Yeah, go ahead. If you, if you take that, I found it just pushes the problem downstream. It's like they're going to come back with Greenfield and solve it. They're going to be sick and they're going to ask you why you just avoided yes. the inevitable. You just did it after That's the transaction the problem because yeah. that comes up the business, right? So if you think of your business as a, as a machine, the last thing you want is things coming back the wrong direction because that just stops everything. Uh, yeah. The wrong client messes up your whole flow for everything, especially if you're dealing with a team, right? Mm -hmm. Each person on the team is supposed to handle a different part if things start coming up the wrong direction and someone's like, yeah, that's not right. That's not what I expected. This isn't working for me. Well, that just ruins everything. And so it, it's not only the, if you send them away to somebody else, you actually save yourself money and you make your, your business more profitable in the long run because you're not taking in something that's not right for your business and not right for them. And it, you know, if, and here's the really good thing. If you, if you do that authentically, then when you have sales conversations or when you're trying to set up sales conversations, which is uh, part of like the autopilot appointment funnel, 
part of that process is after they've evaluated some initial information that we want them to see before they make a decision that they want to talk to somebody, we're not saying, hey, yeah, get on the phone and we'll sell you. We're saying get on the phone and let's evaluate if you're really a match. Yeah. Because we want to make sure that we're right for you and you're right for us before we, we decide if the next step is appropriate. Well, that's a great place for people to be going into, right? Yeah. And, but that's it's, only possible. It makes it so much Yeah. People make sales so much harder than it needs to because they're, they're looking at everything wrong. And if you just look at it right, everything gets easier. The whole process gets easier. And you never feel slimy, you know? Right. I know right. sometimes uh, sales consultants and stuff like that will tell people to do things and they're like, oh, no. And they feel slimy about it. Well, if you feel slimy about it, it's probably because the way you're looking at everything is wrong. And so what you're doing is wrong. And then you don't get the results that you want. And those are like just interesting lessons you learn along the way as you, you work in this industry of, of marketing and sales. There's a lot of people that you know kind of have no problem cutting corners, you know, stretching the truth. Yep. But it's better not to. Okay, well, so we've covered quite a bit of ground. Uh, yeah. Is there anything that's kind of sticking out to you that you're like, Brian, I'd be really uh, sad if we closed this conversation without talking about this point? Oh, man, that's that's quite the setup. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think we've covered some some good foundation stuff. I mean, any one of these we could go way deep on. But uh, in this in this context, I'll just say, I mean, every time I talk to you, the conversations come back around because we both really love the messaging connection and say, hey, how can we turn this? We can make life so much easier if we connect with people all the way through marketing and sales. So, no, I'll just repeat and put my stamp on that. That's great. You know, I agree 100% that it's, it seems so simple that it can't be that powerful. Right. That's why everyone overlooks it. And usually it's like, well, that's too simple. I need a 40 part campaign. <laughs> yep. Because it's not possible that something this simple could actually create the results. But I'm telling, like, I just, from the work that you did with Frank, and I really, when I saw the, how you introducing that concept of, hey, let's just ask a question to people who should have bought. When I saw how powerful the result was for somebody like Frank, who's arguably one of the better salespersons out there, um, if he can't get them to buy without asking them a question, what chance do the rest of us have who are not? You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Yeah, I do. What's, what possible chance do we have if he can't do it? Do we think we're going to outsell Frank Kern? I don't think so. So Probably if that's not. the case, then why not use a simple mechanism? You know, I, I want to close with this because um, I know we're hitting pretty close to the hour mark. Yeah. I would like to hear your thoughts on setting the hook. That's what I call the post-registration text message. And I, I know I just had this conversation with an earlier guest, but I'm, I'm really interested. Have you done any work on setting the hook post-registration, like immediately after the registration? Because what I see is frequently people will get the reminder text message. They got that, no problem. Yep. And then a few people you know, have understood the concept that you pioneered of asking the question of post-webinar because I don't think um, I ever recommended that to anybody. I had my $3 million mistake, which was like pick up the phone and just call people who should have bought. Right. But you took it to a new level by introducing, taking the conversation starter concept and applying it to should have bots, which I was like, oh, that's so obvious. How come I didn't see that? But those are the, the two that most people will get if they're pretty sharp. But I feel like I've seen rarely people get the set the hook concept of, Someone just registered. They're at the peak point of interest. How do you set the hook? How do you make sure that they go, hey, this is important to me. You don't have to remind me. I'm going to set alarms. I'm going to set multiple alarms. I'm not going to miss this, this webinar, this training. Right. So it takes a little bit in wordsmithing. But after that, hey, glad to see you've got it. You know, Here's the reminder, date and time, whatever that may be. It heavily revolves around what kind of brand you have. But the basic thing you want to do is remind them kind of who this is for. Say, hey, I'll just use ice cream because that's easy. Hey, appreciate you registering for my How to Make Ice Cream webinar. We're going to cover three big things. Number one, the myth about homemade ice cream. Number two, do you really have to have that much sugar? Number three, 
how can you make grandma happy with ice cream? I know those will be covered, but I really want to make sure we cover everything. So what's the one big thing you want to know from me about this topic? You know, and you got to shorten it because we got to fit a message. Yeah, but that's the, the concept. That's the concept. If you ask them a question, what do you want to make sure? And, and you don't promise to answer it by text. You have to put some sort of, I want to make sure my content, when you show up, will cover this. And it needs to make, I want to make sure that. Is that something you've done? What's that? Is that something you've done? Yeah. Yep. I did a, uh, I did a webinar on actually of all the boring subjects, tags, you know, how to use tags well in Infusionsoft. And after that, I, I can't remember it word for word. I could probably go find it. But basically, like, hey, what's the one thing you want to make sure for certain that I answer on this webinar? And I got some really good input. And so, then you have to reply live. It's not just the, yeah. just got that. It's like, okay, good. And sometimes, question, sometimes I just say, perfect. I actually know exactly what slide. So don't, don't skip it. There's going to be a slide that's just for you. And then a few of them actually gave me good feedback. I'm like, dude, I didn't even have that covered. Thanks. I'll add it in. That's exactly what we're just like probably Siamese twins on that in terms of our thoughts on that. But then the question I have for you is how did that impact results of the webinar? What was like the objective of the webinar? On that one, it's hard to say because I did that one right from the start. I I used that message right from the get-go. Okay. But during the well, webinar, I, I guess see some correlation. Did the people that asked questions, were they more likely to have shown up than those that didn't? Oh yeah. The people that texted, they were all there for sure. Um, okay. It also changed me a little bit because they, you know, on, on that one, usually there'd be smaller attendance, like 10 to 12 people, not huge. Uh-huh. I've only done it a few times, but I would have the list and I could make notes that's on the paper here on the desk. And I say, Hey Mark, when we were texting earlier, you asked me, about categories. This is the slide I was thinking of. So when I'm done, if I didn't answer it, make sure you comment. That's super brilliant too. And I want to call that out because your ability to reference that you were the one texting with people solidifies the power of the relationship even deeper. And I I don't think people appreciate that. They go, oh, well, that's a small number. Ross is only talking to a few people. You don't need very many people when the value you're bringing is high in order to have a phenomenal business. Yeah. You, you, what you need is depth of relationship. And when people know that you care enough to ask and then care enough to respond and then care even further to actually address something that they brought up, that goes a long way to establishing people's confidence in your ability to solve the problem. In fact, I would venture to guess that just because you asked the question, people were confident you could answer it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would totally agree with that. If I'm brave enough, if you're, if you're or me, whoever is brave enough to open up and say, Hey, what is it you want to hear that, that adds to your credibility of being open to say, bring it on. What, what have you got? Not that it's I, I ego, think, but that I want to make sure I've solved your problem. One of the concerns people bring up frequently though, is like, Oh gosh, I don't think I want to be talking to that many people. <laughs> Good. Send them my way. I'll sell them. <laughs> heaven's sakes if you, if you have so many that you can't do then you hire a salesperson um but yeah for the for so the most part if you had that question i i didn't ask it so that russ would laugh at you and ridicule you <laughs> what you got out of that though is that it's so obvious to ross after working with all the wonderful people he's worked with and had the success he's had it's yeah. so obvious that that is not a problem um, yeah, that is. You have a ton of people re- responding. It, if they were, let's say they were all losers, none of them wanted to buy. Okay. Yeah. I, I just went harsh on them. But if that were the case, that just tells you, you need to modify who you're asking the question to, right? Yeah, that's still good feedback. So, Mike, great. We're fishing in the yeah. wrong fishing hole. Yeah, wrong hole. That's not a problem. You, you don't have to keep doing it just because you're getting a terrible result because Ryan said, yeah, you should ask questions. You know, it, that's one way of setting the hook is asking the question, engaging the person. I was working with somebody who was doing like, uh, you know, they would have like 2,000 people on a webinar like every other day or something. Wow. It was a huge market. I I would not tell them to ask the question in that scenario because there's just too many people Mm -hmm. and there's not enough filtering that's been done at that level. Because if you're getting 2,000 people, chances are you've got quite a few people that aren't really a match in that group. So 
Yep. Best not to, you know, engage with them that way. There's other things that you can do. So maybe you can mention any things that, you, that you've done. But one way, as we mentioned on the last or a couple of podcasts ago, is that you can just give them a workbook and tell them, hey, there's an assignment I need you to do before you start. That enrolls people in thinking about the content of the webinar ahead of, in advance. Not everybody will engage with it, but those that do will be much higher in the show up rate than those that don't. So is there anything like that that you've done besides asking the, the question to set the hook? Um, that, I've, that I've done for myself, no. But the example you just gave, if you've got 2,000 people and yeah, you probably don't want to start that many conversations with all of them, then just move to your next conversion point. Either like what we did with Frank of, okay, they showed up, but they didn't convert. Or you can even go in between there, between the show up, between the reminder and the show up and just say, hey, tomorrow, I'm going to give you a short video as a precursor to the webinar. Make sure you check this out. And then you can tag just the ones who actually click through, watch my little two-minute video about the webinar, and those ones I could ask the question to. Yeah, so what you just did there, Ross, was so important. And for you, it's second nature, right? You don't even have to think about the fact that you're doing it. You just know instinctively to do it. A lot of people don't, and that's why I'm calling this out one more time. We'll kind of close on this. That is, what Ross did there was he identified filtering points. So he is looking at interaction with his marketing to identify who is the most active and anxious person in the group that would most likely that's a sign that they're really set on resolving this problem or attaining the stream. When Ross, I imagine every time you're doing something, you're just inherently thinking, okay, so I'm going to set something there that I can be able to track. I'm going to set something here that I can be able to track. I'm not just tracking it so I have information. I'm tracking it because if they do that, then I know, okay, that's someone I want to talk to differently. Yep. So that's okay. I can't engage with 2,000 people. I don't want to engage with 2,000 people. It's just not going to be worth my time or effort or money. But however, if I can add this here that will kind of call out those people who are most interested, those are people I want to definitely spend the money with because they're the ones that are going to show me that they're ready to take that next action. So if I had 5,000 people, I might just send out an email with that link to the video. And then yep. off the link of the video, now I trigger my text message. So there's also, that's the thinking that you want to be able to acquire is thinking in that way of how do I let people raise their hand or show me a sign that, hey, I'm, I'm really interested. And it's sort of maybe like the auction paddle, right? When they click on that yeah. link, it's like lifting the auction paddle saying, wait, I'm interested. Put me that's down me. on the list. And that's a, that's a way of thinking that has to be developed. But like, Ross, you don't even think about that, do you? You just do it just kind of happens and now that i'm gifted it's just a lot of failures in the past lead me to those things so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just makes it and you don't have to stop the funnel people think of all these steps and they're like well what if they don't do this i'll stop the funnel. I'm like don't stop the funnel just give them time i love the auction paddle actually give them a few chances to raise that paddle let them come all the way down but now you've got that one percent that if you wanted to make some phone calls or some very personal text or a personal video you know exactly who to do it to yeah, and I think that's that's the real key there is knowing how do you give people this ability to, to to identify themselves and kind of filter through and then say, okay, maybe you start with uh, real high up on the paddle raising <laughs> pyramid, right? Maybe yeah. they raise their, their pyramid or their paddle five times. Okay, we're going to start with those. And you know, we're able to manage that. We've got time to spare. Let's go down to the three. Hey, Amen. that's actually you good know. results. Oh, okay, now let's go down to two. Oh, fantastic. That's still getting results. Oh, now let's go to one. Nope, that was a total mistake. Go back up to two. That's kind of how you progress through these things because you have limited resources. So use the limited resources intelligently. Cover LeBron James. Don't cover the other guy that we don't even know his name. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Cover LeBron James. Okay, now that we got LeBron James under control, now let's look at the next guy that's making any baskets. Okay, now we're covering those two guys. Does anybody else make it? No, nobody else is making that. It's okay. We're fine. We'll keep it there. But you know, that's the way you want to be approaching these things when it comes to the business. You know, if you create a problem where you got too much to do, that's great. Pick the most profitable stuff and start there. And then work yeah. your way down. Hey, Ross, this has been really great. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, not a blast. Thank you, Ryan. You know, people that want to learn more about Ross, they can do a couple of things. One is they could go to fixyourfunnel.com and go to our certified partners page. You'll see Ross in his bearded glory. <laughs> looking like Steve Jobs with that black background. 
<laughs> or you can just go straight to uh, 3step.marketing. Is that right? Yep, you can go 3step.marketing or I finally own 3stepmarketing.com. Finally got that okay. domain. And that's spelled out, right? T-H-R-E. Correct. E-S-T-E-P marketing.com. Okay, cool. It. Fantastic. So, hey, thanks so much, Ross. Uh, I understand that you're actually working on a new market. So we'll have you back to talk about some of the work you're doing there as you get uh, some results to report back. You bet. We'll keep it under wraps. And when I, uh, when I unveil that one, I'd love to do it here. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ryan.